Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Mark, chapter 12, verses 28 to 30. Listen now for the word of the Lord. And one of the scribes came up and heard him disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you guys this morning. Um, I guess during these uh, past months during COVID, uh, we've been missing a lot of life together. Um, so I just wanted to start out by sharing, I guess, one of the biggest things that happened in my family's life, uh, which is the birth of our third son, Noah. Um, so I just want to kind of allow you to be part of the journey. You could see him just one day old, two weeks, one month, one and a half, two months, and two and a half. And he's starting to learn how to smile around two and a half, and now he's about three and a half. Um, and I know there's been a lot of other um, celebrations that we've missed along the way. Um, so again, just want to congratulate Victor and Diane for Josephine, Brian on for Seth, Dong and Diane for Silas. And I know there's been just a lot of other things that we could have been celebrating, um, but we look forward to the time that we could gather together. So um, let me pray for us um, as we get into our message. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for this opportunity to worship, to gather, to come and to meet with you, Lord. And Lord, we just uh, look forward to the day that we will be able to meet in person once again. Um, but until that time period, Lord God, we just continue to trust in you and wait upon your perfect timing. Uh, Lord, we know that there's been a lot of celebrations as well as probably a lot of difficult things that have happened along the way. God, thank you that you're always with us and God, that you're always leading us and guiding us. So thank you. And we just ask that you would speak to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So today, um, we are, our passage is from Mark chapter 12, verse 28 to 30. I'm just going to read it for us one more time. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important one, is, or the most important is, hear, O Lord, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. So next slide. Um, so the question I guess I want just to ask us today is, what does it mean to be a Christian? Uh, or if someone were to ask you, what does it mean to be a believer? And what we can see from this passage in verse 30, that our greatest calling or command is that we would love God. Or the answer is to be a lover of God. Um, and I think that's kind of just something for me as I was kind of preparing, I was just kind of struck by just that simple thought that from this verse, the greatest commandment, our calling is to love God, to be a lover of God, that it should be the most defining attitude that we can express in explaining who we are. So if somebody asks like, who are you? Like, I love God. That's who I am. I love God. Um, and I think that struck me. Is that, is that what, how would I, was that how I would answer this question? Or would I say something else? And though we love him imperfectly, we seek to love him perfectly and long for the day that we will love him perfectly one day. 
Next slide. Um, so since this is a familiar verse, I just want to kind of break down kind of the, uh, what does this verse say? And I want to kind of go in a slightly different direction. Um, so there are kind of four words that talk about like how we love the Lord. So you shall love the Lord your God first with all your heart. Um, the heart in the Hebrew understanding is the core of your identity, the source of all your thoughts, words, and action. And so then we're supposed to love God with the deepest, the purest, the truest part of you, our deepest identity. Um, and so we have this idea from Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the spring of life. Second thing here we say is that we love God with all your soul. Um, and so one we look at is soul has to do with your emotions. Uh, Matthew 26, 38 says, then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And so we have this idea that we love God again with our entire being, our deepest part of us and with our emotions here. We also love God with all your mind. Mind may be best seen in this context as your will or the power of intention power of purpose. And so sometimes we say, I made up my mind to do this. And so we have this idea of desire and intention and will. And last of all, we says with all your strength, which is just your physical energy, your physical strength and ability. And so when you put all these things together, what we see is that we're called to love God with our whole being. We see our intellect, our emotions, our volition, our physical parts of us all combined to love the one true God. It is intelligent, emotional, willing, and an active love. And since, again, we have all those with all, with all, with all, it continues to lay out this complete wholehearted love. So as God wholeheartedly loved us, we should not return that with a half-hearted love on our part. We are called to love God with our entire being. Next slide. So today, what I would like us to consider is that we will love God, um, to love God with our head, to love God with our heart, and to love God with our hands and feet. So let's go to our first one. Next slide. Uh, to love God with our head. So a verse I think about is Romans 12, 2. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so generally as we think about loving God with our head, we oftentimes think about having right teachings, good doctrine and correct theology. And I think that's one thing that we're really blessed here at Graceway. Um, we have such gifted teachers like Pastor Dave and Pastor Dohi and uh, who give us such solid and great teachings for our church. And just even uh, all the Sunday school teachers and um, we just have a lot, we're just really blessed to have a lot of wonderful people who love the word of God. Um, and so in general, I do not worry this much, so much for our church, um, because I feel like in general, this is one of our strengths is that we lo love God a lot with our head, with our mind, with our intellect, with our knowledge and with our understanding. Um, next slide. So one of the things that could kind of happen that can be uh, challenging is that sometimes because we enjoy knowledge and gaining information, um, sometimes we find ourselves hearing this, um, basically hearing a multiple message on the same topic. So maybe it's like, oh, we're talking about love again, uh, or we're talking about worship again. 
And when that happens, I just want to ask, how do you respond when you, that happens? I know for my, uh, when I was at UC Berkeley, um, one of the guys that I was kind of meeting up with, he would basically grade the message or grade uh, the church based on if his mind learned something new. And if he didn't learn anything new, he would basically think it wasn't very good. I'm not sure if that's the correct way of responding, um, but I think that's kind of maybe common for us. We can tend to like tune out, say, have I heard this before? There's nothing new. And then you kind of maybe think about other things. But I guess in the context here in Mark 12, 32. So in this context, again, Jesus is being asked by the scribe, what is the greatest commandments? Jesus answers to love God. Second, to love your neighbor. And then the scribe responds in light of what Jesus said in Mark 12, 32. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other beside him. Um, I guess before we say love the Lord your God with all your heart, there is something called the Shema and it's basically saying the Lord is one. And in other, what it's basically saying is that God is sovereign and he is ultimate. And so I think as we think about how do we love God with our head, we have to be reminded, first of all, that God is sovereign and he's ultimate. And so if God is sovereign, is it an accident that you're hearing the multiple message on the same topic? Is it just by coincidence? I, I believe that God is sovereign and because he's sovereign, if you're hearing a message multiple times, I believe God is generally speaking to you and that he wants to say something to you, but probably we're having a hard time listening. And so I want to encourage us that when we hear something maybe time over and over again to ask God, what do you want me to hear? I remember uh, I was, uh, Akemi and I were meeting with one sister for discipleship and uh, we wanted to cover the, four, the parable of the four soils. And we asked her, have we covered this before? I feel like we have, but just wanted to say, have we covered this? And then she joked around, and, or not joked around, but she said, yes, we've covered this many, many times. And, and I realized for me, the reason I keep bringing this topic up is because I, there are certain things from this Bible study that she hasn't still quite lived out in her life. And so I wanted to cover it again and again until she got it. And maybe that's likewise for us. Maybe there's something that God is really trying to speak to us and God will kind of keep bringing it up time after time so that we would actually listen and, they, and actually act upon the things God is telling us. Next slide. All right. Um, so the second thing um, that I want us to think about is to love God with your heart. Love God with your heart. So I guess I want to start kind of looking at the problem with the Pharisees. So, um, so basically, the Pharisees um, basically are many times at odds with Jesus. And, and, and Jesus kind of helps address kind of what their major problem was. Um, so to understand the context of Mark 12, we're going to go back into Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy, one of the themes of Deuteronomy is basically he is kind of giving the law again. And during this time, the main emphasis is to obey the law, to have obedience to the whole law. And through obedience to the whole law is the means for them to receive the blessing of God and to have prosperity. Um, and so he keeps saying, like, you know, follow my commandments, follow all of them, impress it upon your children. And, and so Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, which is basically the Old Testament uh, where it's referred to, it basically gives the motivation on how we actually obey. 
So again, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And so we see that the key to obedience is how you answer the question, do you love God? And he says it multiplies these in Deuteronomy to remember, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. So that's the key. It's not just following the exterior law, but the interior is, do you love God inside? Next slide. So in Matthew 15, 8, um, Jesus says this of the Pharisees, these, this people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And so what we see is that many times it's easy to try to love God or try to do external acts of following the law and even saying some of the right words, but they did not love God from their deepest core. They did not love God from the deepest part of who they were. I don't doubt they probably loved the idea of God and even a lot of the benefits of God, but Jesus calls them out and says, their heart is not in here. Their heart is far from me. And for me, I guess that's heartbreaking because we're doing, they were probably doing a lot of right actions, but their heart was not right. And I guess that's the, when I hear this passage, I'm confronted. Maybe I do things for God, but is my heart near or is my heart far from God today? In a similar verse in Matthew 7, 21, 23, um, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? And do mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So it's not so much, again, there is an importance of doing a lot of the right actions. There is an importance of that. But even more important is, do you have a relationship, God? Do you love God? Is loving God one of the defining attitudes that express who you are? Is that something that's true? And I'm humbled many times to, I want to love God with my heart. Next slide. So one of the questions that kind of rises for me as I think about this is how important is our affection? How important is like the, in some sense, like the feelings and how important are like that deep core? Like, is it that important that I, you know, like have this kind of love and heart affection? Um, and, uh, so this is from Jonathan Edwards. Uh, he wrote this. So God glorifies himself toward the creatures in two ways. So he's basically explaining how does God reveal himself and glorify himself. He says, by appearing to their understanding. So first of all, that's like in our minds, our intellect, our understanding. He appears to our understanding. Second, in communicating himself to their hearts and in their rejoicing and delighting in and enjoying the manifestation which he makes of himself. God is, not only, God is glorified not only by the glories being seen, but by its being rejoiced in. And I guess what Jonathan Edwards here is trying to help us to understand is, yes, we need to understand. That's important. That's critical. That's huge. But as we understand it, then our hearts are moved by that understanding. And because of that, we can rejoice, we delight, and we enjoy. Um, and so... I asked, do you, give do you give God the glory he deserves in your rejoicing? 
You know, is there a rejoicing as you think about God? Is there a rejoicing, delighting as you think about God, as you worship God, as you serve God? So I was just kind of thinking about, is this really important? Um, and I guess just an illustration that I was kind of thinking about is maybe you're applying to, for our students, maybe you're applying to your dream school as you're thinking about going to college. Or maybe for some of us adults, maybe we're applying to our dream job, right? And so you're like, oh, God, be gracious. I hope I could get it. You're asking everyone to pray for you. And so you tell your friends and, uh, and then you like get the news, you get it. And so you tell your friends, I got into the dream school. I got into my dream job. But if they're like, oh, okay, nice, cool, man. If there's like no emotions, it either shows that they don't know you very well and that was really important to you or they really don't care about what the success is and some of the dreams that you wanted. But on the flip side, if they're like, wow, that's awesome, congratulations, if they celebrate with you, that reflects that they know your heart. They know who you are and like, I knew that was important to you. I'm so happy for you that you got in. And, it, and they also understand the journey it took for you to get there. And so I think this idea of rejoicing is not just an intellectual like, oh, why is there emotions or no emotions? It actually reflects just the intimacy and our depth of understanding of who the person is. And so I think when we are able to rejoice in who God is, it reflects that we really know God. It reflects that, wow, I know his heart. Wow, God, you're so beautiful. God, you're so kind. You're amazing. And so this rejoicing, I think, is actually very important as we think about loving God. And so I want to encourage us as we think about loving God, is there rejoicing? Is there delighting? Is there an enjoyment of that? Next slide. The second thing I want us to think about as we think about loving God with your heart is to be restored by being restoried. Um, restored by being restoried. Um, I didn't come up with that. I read that from a book, but thought it was pretty clever. Um, and um, so what are we talking about here? So I guess to kind of start off, I want us to think about is, what is your vision of the good life? Right? What is the vision of the good life? So when we like take time to kind of daydream and think about like, what do I want my life to look like? Like, where am I going? Right? And so we have this vision of what this good life would look like. And so many times we adopt ways of life that are linked to such visions of the good life, not usually because we think through our options, but rather because some picture captures our imagination. And so I just want us to think about what has captured your imagination. You know, maybe for some, it's just, I just want to be happy, free of pain and suffering. Maybe others are very ambitious. I want it all. I want the power, the fame, the riches. Or maybe others, I just don't want to be alone. You know? Or maybe some, I, I see God seated on his throne, administering his love and grace to the world that is in need. You know, we have different things that capture our imagination. What is that good life? And basically, depending on the narrative you believe, it will alter your direction in life. Right? Depending on what you picture to be the good life, what's important to you, it will change the way you live your life, the decisions you make, and where you go. I remember my cousin uh, once had an opportunity to be trained by a gold medalist volleyball player. And the coach, basically player, asked, what do you want? What do you want? And uh, he was a little confused initially by what, do you what he meant by that. But basically he was asking, 
Do you just want to like play volleyball recreationally? Do you want to make your varsity team in your high school? Do you want to play in college? Or do you want to make the, the US Olympic team and win a gold medal? Depending on how you answer that question, I will train you in a different way. If you want it easy, just say, I want to play recreationally. But if you want your life to be hard, then say you want to make the US national team and win a gold medal. And so many times depends, the question is, what do you want? What is that vision that you're pursuing, you're chasing after? So I guess there are many false narratives out there. And when I talk about false narratives, there are narratives that are against, directly opposed to the gospel narrative, the narrative that God has. And so one narrative that I just want to highlight is this narrative, do what makes you happy. I think it's a common, copy, uh, common and, and a slogan that you'll hear people throwing out. Yeah, do what makes you happy. You be you, right? Um, and it's not that this idea is not completely wrong. I think most false narratives have a hint of truth, right? I think it's important to do some things that make you do happy, right? I think, for example, maybe in the past when, for, especially for minority groups and especially for women, they did not have options um, to do things that actually made them happy and they were forced to go one way or the other. And so as, you know, things have changed, they have given more opportunities and we celebrate that and we're grateful for that. Um, but the thing that why this statement is dangerous is that if it becomes the greatest principle, if that's your greatest vision and that leads your life, then there's some, some hidden things that people don't notice that can be actually dangerous and detrimental, especially to your walk with God. First of all, when we think do what makes you happy, basically we're saying life is centered around me. It's all about me. So for example, when I come to church, worship is for me and it should meet my felt needs. And if the life is about me, I don't care so much about others, but if they somehow could make my life better, then I'm kind of interested in this relationship with other people. But unless you have something to offer me, I'm not really interested. I think the second thing is because I know best, I will make all the decisions. In some sense, this is great and empowers, um, but from my, what I've seen is that many times actually this idea of making all the decision is actually very crippling because now the burden has been placed on you. And as a result, I think I especially see it in our young people. They feel very overwhelmed by every decision because it's your decision. If you make a bad choice, it's your fault. And so instead of having thousands of options, they're like, I don't know, should I go, which of these thousand options should I take? And I feel like instead of empowering, many times it suffocates. The third one here is saying, if you're, if you're not feeling it, just don't do it. Um, I see this a lot many times when uh, we have yeah. events or especially uh, I, in our college ministry, when we have events, if people are not feeling it, even though they said they're going to come, they won't come. Um, basically, there's not much of a commitment. Um, and you just kind of come and go because, well, it matters what makes me happy. And if I don't feel like it makes me happy, I'm not going to come. I want to be true to myself. So, so again, again, it's not that do, do what makes you happy is completely bad, but there's some things that are hidden underneath that can be a little bit dangerous. Let's go to our next slide. So we need to understand the gospel narrative. And the gospel narrative, countering to what I just said, 
Life is about God and for God. God is the main character. Because God loves his people, God takes initiatives and saves us from ourselves and our sin. Because God knows what's best for us, he leads us and guides us. And for me, that's so encouraging because I don't have to be afraid of my future because no matter if I make the right step or the wrong step, God is still leading me. He's still guiding me. And I know God is sovereign and God is good. And sometimes I may do things I don't like or difficult, but I know that in all things, God works together for my good according to his purpose, right? And so we don't have to be afraid of the difficult or the hard things because we know God is always good. Worship service restores, next slide. Worship service restores us because it restores us. Worship that renews is worship that re-narrates our identity. And so Pastor David has been going through a series on worship and talking about all the different liturgies and things that it's supposed to help us. So I just want to, especially for our young people in our youth group, to understand and appreciate that the way we do our service is really meant to help us to remind us of who we are and ultimately to remind us who God is. And so again, every Sunday, we're supposed to be restored, reinvigorated, empowered in this amazing narrative, this amazing story that God has written and he's inviting us to be a part of. So we see that we start with the prelude. It usually starts with soft music, but it's a time to prepare ourselves to meet with God. Then we have the call to worship. God's invitation to us to worship him. And as you know, usually there's a call and response and there's usually a scripture reading to remind us that God is the initiator in all this. Then we have time to, as we encounter God, as we meet God, then we're all of a sudden reminded of our own sinfulness. And so we have this time of confession. We recognize our sin and ask that he forgives us. And as soon as we do that, we're reminded that God assures us that he has forgiven us and he loves us. It's the assurance of pardon. And now that as we are at peace, then we're encouraged to pass that peace, to recognize that we are on equal ground with our brothers and sisters. And so we greet one another as forgiven sinners. Then we respond by songs of praise. We sing, we delight, we enjoy God for who he is. Next slide. And then we have scripture reading. God speaks to us through his word. And then the proclamation of the word. It's the announcement. God invites us and instructs us of his story and what he's doing in this world and how he's inviting us to be a part of this amazing story in the story, in the drama of redemption. And then we, can, we respond by giving offerings. We give ourselves to God and we get part of that is we give financially as a symbol of something of value to say, God, I give this to you. And I think it's also a time to, to stop and meditate to say, God, I want to give this to you. And then we have communion, something we've been missing as we've been uh, having this COVID time, but looking forward to the day we can come together and have it again. Basically, we're invited to come together to dine with the king together as a family, as a community, and to remember his death and resurrection. And then there's a charge. Uh, we are sent out as God's ambassadors, as his breathing images of God to carry out his story to, and to invite others to his amazing story. And then we have the benediction, which is a blessing. 
we are blessed with God's presence to go out and to serve the Lord. Next slide. So we had love the Lord God with all your mind or your head, with your love your God with all your heart, and last of all, love God with your hands. And so as Pastor Dave also mentioned, one of the things that's important is the posture of the body. And he encouraged us that your body matters. The bo- your body helps our mind and heart get in the right place. He said this quote in his message, it is easier to act yourself into a new way of feeling rather than fear away into a new way of acting. And so there's something about when we do something, in a, put ourselves in a physical position, it helps our mind and our attitudes go, oh, I understand what I'm supposed to do. Um, so for example, I just want to give a couple of suggestions. So when we worship, um, we have many times where we will respond in worship. I encourage you to maybe stand, right? To like change the position that you are saying, God, I'm here for you. Um, one thing you could do is clap. That's something that I always see Pastor Dave when he's blessed by a particular line in the song, you see him clapping and that's his way of responding. And you know, if that, you know, you could either say, yeah, or, you know, clap or whatever, um, but respond somehow in a physical way, or you could maybe raise your hands in surrender or in awe. And whenever you do this, it's going to be awkward, but be reminded that this is not about you, but this is for God and saying, I want to give my God, my whole heart, my whole being. And so God, I do this for you. The second thing is an offertory. Um, I want to encourage this idea that we give ourselves to God. Um, One thing that I did when I was younger and didn't have much money um, and was a student, um, I would oftentimes like, I would get the money from my parents and I would like, you know, put it into the envelope or just pass it out. Um, but one thing I think along the way that I realized that offertory is not just giving money, but it's ultimately like giving myself to God. And so one thing that I've done at times is I would start with my eyes closed and with closed fists and saying, God, I want to give you something. And so this week, God, I want to give you my heart. I want to give you my, my affections. I want to give you my time. And as I do that, I slowly open my hand, say, God, I give this to you. And I just leave my hand open saying, God, I offer this to you. So it might be one way of saying, God, offertory is not just about giving my money, but it's really about giving my heart and my life to you. And then the benediction, um, one thing that's common that you'll, you might see some people do is they open their hands in a posture to receive. And maybe likewise, maybe when you hear the word of God being read. So some things to think about the posture of the body. Next slide. The last thing I just want to encourage us is this idea of adding healthy habits. So the reason why this is important is sometimes we think that you are what you think, but I don't know if you have ever had like you're blown away by a great message or maybe you went to a church camp and you're like, I totally get it in my head. I believe it. And even your heart, I'm excited. I'm enthusiastic to do it. But then as soon as you go home, like you don't, life doesn't change. You say, what happened? What happened? Generally, because our hands and feet have some bad habits and because we come to love other things that it's not so easy to displace. And so what I want to encourage us with the hands and feet is to add healthy habits, right? To remove some of the negative habits, but then to have healthy habits. So just some examples that I thought about my own journey with God um, and just my own life was learning to play the guitar. I don't know if how many of you guys have tried to play the guitar. Um, 
You know, in my head, I thought, hey, it's a great way to worship God, to serve. And in my heart, maybe I'm like, whoa, worship leaders are pretty cool. And maybe if they're cool and I become a worship leader, I could be pretty cool, you know. Or at least when I was growing up, uh, the only way I would listen to worship music would either people have to make cassette tapes or they would have to burn CDs or you would have to buy CDs. Um, and so it's hard to listen to worship music. So in my heart, I was like, oh, I could play my own worship songs and sing my own worship songs by myself. Um, and so in my head and my heart, I was like, yeah, I love this. This is great. But in the hands and feet, it was pretty hard. You had to practice, practice, practice. And then your fingers hurt like crazy because you have no calluses and you're like, ow, ow, ow. And so when you first start, it's actually very painful, lots of hard work, and you sound terrible, right? And so I just want to encourage us as we especially think about adding healthy habits, it's probably not going to be, you're not going to be instantly good at this. You're going to actually stumble a lot. And basically there are no shortcuts, but that's okay. That's part of the process, right? The second thing is about running. So um, in the summer times, in the beginning of summer times for our college group, we would have something called a summer training program and we would run for two miles. We wake up in the, in the morning around six um, and we would run two miles. And so um, generally people are like, they're like, okay, I know the idea of getting physically fit is a good thing and it'll help me stay awake during the day when we do Bible studies. But in the heart, most people are like, they have no desire to run and most people hate running. And practically their hands and feet, they're completely out of shape and they're not prepared to do this. And so one thing uh, I encourage all the people who are in this program is to run at whatever pace you have, whether it be slow, almost walking pace, but never walk, never walk. Um, most people don't really follow my recommendation, um, but that was my encouragement because if you're gonna actually be able to run, you have to run slowly. So generally the first few days, people legs are sore, people cramp up and they feel horrible. But by the end of the two weeks, a miracle often takes place and they're able to run the whole thing. It might be slow, but they ran the whole thing. And so the question is, what happened? They hated it. They didn't want to do it. How, do they, how were they able to run those two miles? And basically, I kind of think of two things. One, it takes time to build endurance and strength. I think the first couple of days, your legs are just really out of shape. And so your legs are too weak. And so part of it, as you keep running, or at least attempt to do it, you start building the strength and endurance for it. But the second thing that I think was actually more important is that we see the importance of community and encouragement. In Hebrews 10, 24, 25, it says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the, is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I realize, like especially when you're doing something difficult, something that's hard, when you do get together with others and they're with you at the same time, it's somehow you're encouraged to say, all right, if you're toughing it out, I'm going to tough it out too. And somehow through the end of that, it is actually a, quite a miracle. Um, I know from our summer, summer training programs I would run, some people would say that is the biggest takeaway from their entire time was saying, I never thought I could run this whole thing, but I did, and that's a miracle from God. And so I think likewise in our life with God, there are probably some bad habits that God wants us to help get rid of, 
But at the same time, God wants to add something to meet us in a new way. But it will take our community. It'll take time, but it'll definitely be worth it. Um, so as we consider what is our calling, our calling is to love God with our hand, our head, our hearts, that we're called to be a lover of God. And I pray that together, that would be the most defining attitude that we can express in explaining who we are, that we love God. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for this time that we could consider our calling, the greatest commandment to love you, Lord God. God, I thank you that you are actually very easy to love because you're worthy, you're good, you're kind and loving. But Lord, our eyes fail to see it so often. And so God, we ask that you would open our eyes to see your beauty. You would open our eyes to see how wonderful and glorious you truly are. And so for maybe for some of us, the challenge is adding some healthy habits so we can encounter you, so we can see how beautiful and wonderful you are. And so Lord, I just pray for grace as we consider how we can join you. We can join this wonderful drama of the story of redemption that you have invited us to be a part of. And so God, we just thank you and we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Will you pray with me 